We've been having a lot of fun because we are in our sermon series, Level Up. Now, this isn't about uh, earning your way into heaven. Uh, That's impossible. None of us can do that. This is uh, about leveling up our faith. And what does that mean? It means growing deeper, growing wider, holding on tighter, uh, becoming more and more trusting of Jesus. And um, as we've been going through this series, we've been lifting up uh, seven faith practices that are traditionally known as the marks of discipleship. You want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus? Engage in these faith actions and find your faith growing deeper and stronger uh, as you cling even tighter onto Jesus. And I said last week that... um, When you practice these seven faith practices, I want you to recognize that when you look at someone and say, I want to be a Christian the way that person is. Maybe there's someone in your life that's been a mentor to you. In my case, it was was my mom and my dad and um, my grandparents of wanting to be a Christian like they are. Um, And I can tell you that when you point at that person and say, I want to be a Christian like them, I guarantee you they are practicing all seven of these Uh, marks of discipleship, these faith practices. We're using the acronym POWER UP for the seven marks of discipleship. And when we engage in these practices, we level up our faith. We're actively exercising and engaging in our faith and growing deeper in our trust in Jesus. So, just like in a video game, you need power-ups to level up in the game. The first P in power-up stands for pray, that we're to pray when we follow Jesus. The O stands for offer, that I have a lot to offer when I follow Jesus. Today we're going to talk about the W. The W in Power Up stands for worship. Now, um, depending on, on what you think about worship, you may have all kinds of ideas of what you expect, what your expectations are when it's time to worship. Now, you can worship by yourself, um, but we're all called to worship publicly. And that's usually where people get into disagreements about what worship looks like. Uh, Maybe for you, it's the type of songs that are sung or the type of music uh, that is played. Maybe it's that uh, everything that happens in worship is meat, right, and salutary, to use an old Lutheran term. Um, That's what we call the liturgy. Uh, Maybe for you, worship happens when you can raise your hands in praise. Uh, All of that is is fine, and none of it is off limits, because that is a language of worship. But regardless of whether you like traditional worship or modern worship, the, the type of music that you like, Martin Luther had said that music is so important because along with the Word of God, the Holy Spirit works through music. And when word is connected to music, it has an amazing uplifting effect on those who hear it. And often we have different worship styles because we like different kinds of music styles. But at the heart of everything that has to do with worship, whether it's in uh, a modern service like this one or a tradition service on the other side of, of the building, this is what is the same. Worship and rest. And I mean that, that as, an, as a verb. When we worship, we can rest. I know that as I talk, some of you are going to start to meditate on my words by closing your eyes 
And your head begins to nod along. And I want you to know that I will never point you out, I will never pick on you, because obviously, if you're starting to doze off during the, med- the, the message, it's because the Holy Spirit is causing you to rest, because you've been running ragged Monday through Saturday. Okay? So know that, never be embarrassed. If you get sleepy while you're in this place and you need to rest, it's because your body is crying out to God saying, Lord, let me rest in your presence. Because that's what you're doing. That's what you need to do. Rest is not the same as sleep. You can get eight hours of sleep and still come on Sunday morning and be like, I just feel worn out. It's because you're running yourself ragged all week long. You are an incredibly busy person and you need at least an hour to rest in God's presence. It's why it's important to join in in fellowship, to join in worship at least once a week on a Sunday morning. And I don't mean just in the building, although we definitely want you to come, but it's also joining online. It's tuning in and resting in God's presence. Not not just sleeping or, or getting busy with something else, but it's resting in the presence of God. So here's my uh, uh, freedom for all the kids out there. Check with your parents, because always do what your parents say. That's the fourth commandment. There's nothing that says do what Pastor DJ says. But if you want to wear jammies in church, it's okay with me. Because if you need to rest, I want you to come here and I want you to rest. Because that's what we're all doing. We're resting. That's what we need to do in worship. Because God is present here. He promises to be present here. If you are wondering, why am I here today? It's just become a habit. I want you to understand that you can be assured that God is present in your midst because he promises to be according to his word. Church is not the building. It's the people gathered around Jesus, where he promises to be. And where he promises to be in a way that you can be assured that he's there is what he says in the word. Where his word is preached and his sacraments are administered for the forgiveness of sins. Holy baptism, holy communion. It's here that Jesus promises to be present. It's the gospel. Jesus tells his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I have taught you, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus said, I did not come into the world to judge the world. My word will be the judge. John 1 says, I am, uh, uh, says in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and lived among us. Jesus is not bound by a physical body because he is risen, and so he is loose, and he's coming after you, and he runs a lot faster than you do. And so when you come to worship, the word that is preached to you, we are to trust, is where Jesus promises to be. Now, how can you know that my words are what Jesus wants to say? If I am preaching Christ and pointing to him, if Pastor Becky is preaching Christ, if Pastor Mark is preaching Christ, if what we're saying is in line with what the Bible says, then it is the word that has come to you in your midst. In your fellowship with one another, when you gather together in worship, The church gathers together in the event of worship and you mutually console and comfort and build one another up. Jesus promises to be present. He says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. There's more than two or three here. 
But even outside of here, when you gather two or three Christians in Jesus' name and bless one another and build one another up, that's worship. And Jesus promises to be present. And in the sacrament, uh, Holy Communion, Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. It's where he promises to be so you can come and grab hold of him. So if you are here today by happenstance, understand that what you're going to receive is Jesus because that's what we have to give. And the Holy Spirit is working that in your heart as we speak so that you would have faith in that promise, that you would grab on to Jesus. When we come to worship, we bring nothing with us except a repentant heart and a longing spirit. Nothing you do here is going to earn you God's grace. Rather, we come and God is the host who pours his grace out upon us. He gives us the goods through his word. Whether it's the songs, whether it's the preaching, when Christ is proclaimed, God has shown up in our midst to work his promises upon us. We come as sinners. That's all we have to bring. We come and we hand our sins, we hand our burdens, we hand our brokenness before Christ so that we can be made new, renewed, empowered to be the children of God we're made to be. So I'm letting you know what's happening to you right now. Rest. Now, I spelt rest in a weird kind of way with four capital letters because I want to give you another acronym of what happens in worship. The first thing is what I've been talking about. The R stands for receive. We gather in worship to receive God's grace, and God gives us his grace through means, through the preached word, whether through preaching or song. We respond in prayer, praise, and thanksgiving to that word that comes to us. We never take it. We never grab it. It's everything we do is a response to what God is giving. Through his word, he preaches. He calls us out on our stuff, and he sets us free through the, through the gospel. Through the sacraments, he gives us the physical gospel that we can taste, touch, smell, and feel. We are receiving God's grace over and over and over and over again. You're going to hear the gospel proclaimed to you multiple times any given Sunday worship. Every single song proclaimed the truth about who you are and what God's come to do about it. And where there is faith in Jesus Christ, you can be assured that all of your sins are forgiven because this promise is for you. It's for you. It's for you. And you might be sitting in the back saying, well, I don't know if it's for me. Maybe for that guy. Maybe for that kid. But you don't know what I did this week. You don't know what sins I've committed. You don't know the guilt and the shame that I have inside. Understand, when you come forward, if preaching the gospel for you doesn't hit you, God's going to show up in something tangible that you can grab a hold of. A little bit of bread and a little bit of wine. And when you come forward, it has your name on it. It is for you. There's no denying it. There's no backing down. There's no hiding from it. God has got his sights on you, and he runs a lot faster than you do, and he's coming for you today. So we receive God's grace. That's the first, that's the main thing that we do, and it does everything that follows. By receiving God's grace, we come with a repentant heart. We don't earn it, we just receive it. Just like catching a football. I don't, uh, Martin Luther called it passive acceptance. I don't make the quarterback throw the ball, but when it's in the air, I receive it because it comes to me. If it's going to hit me, if it's going to touch my hands, I might as well grab a hold of it. It's a passive acceptance. It's receiving what God has to give. The next is the E. 
When we come to worship, we are equipped to live out our callings. You might say, well, what is my calling? Well, are you a son? Are you a daughter? Are you a husband? Are you a, 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 a wife? Are you a mother, a father, a grandma, grandpa, friend, neighbor, qu- uh, uh, acquaintance? If Christ has tackled you and you have faith in him, then you are called to serve the gospel in the world through whatever opportunities God has put in your life. Who are the people in your life that God has put there? When we come to worship, we become equipped to live out our callings, to share the gospel with the, to share the good news that we've received with everyone else. It is the most necessary experience of any life. It matters more than anything else. It's more important than what college you go to. It's important than what job you get. Having a relationship with Jesus Christ is a life or death reality. And when there is faith in Jesus Christ, new life begins now and continues for eternity. So when we come to worship, we are becoming equipped to being the fathers, the mothers, the brothers, the sisters, the sons, the daughters, the grandmas, the grandpas, the employee, the employer we are called to be in Jesus Christ. Whatever you're called to do with your life, understand that God is with you, equipping you for that good work. The S stands for strengthen. When we hear the gospel, when we come to worship and we rest, we're strengthened. Anyone who's ever uh, exercised, understand that you need those rest days alongside all the work that you do in order to reset your central nervous system for one thing, but it also makes you stronger. And so when you come to worship, You are strengthened by the word of God to carry out the work and the burdens that you face Monday through Saturday. Here we come to rest, to be restored, to be nurtured, and to be strengthened for the work that God is calling us to do. And if we don't have an active, constant um, uh, habit of worship, it's no different than having a bad sleep cycle or not eating the good nutrients that we need for day-to-day life. Worship is like breathing for the Christian. We are strengthened by it because the source of our strength is God himself. And so we need to be in relationship with him rather than running to and fro all week long thinking, leaving God behind. When we come to worship, we actually turn and and come before the Lord to receive his blessings and to receive his correction. And the last one is this neat little word, tend. Now, in worship, two things happen, and it's two different meanings of the word tend. First of all, the word tend means to act or to live in a particular way. Like, I'll I'll use it in a sentence. Pastor DJ tends to talk a lot in church. I act and I live in a certain way. I have certain tendencies. When we worship, we discover that we have tendencies that are given by God. But alongside that is another neat little word. That is the word tend. How many of you garden? Nobody. Well, when you garden, are, are you all uh, meditating with your eyes closed as I'm talking? Are you all resting? Tending a garden means to care for. So, What happens in worship is you are washed in the word of God. You are fed with the bread of life. And what happens is it changes how you live your life 
and what you care for. And as we say here at Atonement, we're all about loving God and loving people. Worship empowers you, strengthens you to love God and love people Monday through Saturday. But then you got to come back and get your fix again. I know that's how it works for me. Um, If I don't worship at least once a week, whether on site with all of you, with my my brothers and sisters in Christ, or online with those across the world that are part of the communion of saints that are part of our, our church family, I feel like I'm missing something. I feel off. Like, remember those old V8 commercials? Like, I didn't get my V8. I'm, I'm sideways. I'm, I'm, I'm twisted. But when I have worship, it, makes, it, it sets the standard for everything else that goes on that week. And by the end of the week, I need worship again because I need to be fed. I need to rest with my Lord, in, in, uh, with my God. I'm going to take you through Psalm 100. It's only five verses. But in it, it sums up everything about what is happening in worship, okay? Uh, Psalm 100, verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Two things about this. The word Lord, in all caps, as I mentioned before, is the name of God revealed in the Old Testament. I'm going to let you in on something. I spent a lot of time reading Hebrew this week. And it got so bad, I walked out of my office on Friday and I told Margine and Gail, I said, I need to go someplace else because my eyes are going cross from all the Hebrew I've been reading. Uh, My eyes were turning in on themselves. But I learned a lot of things. And one of them is that the name for Lord, whenever you see this in the Old Testament, Lord in all caps, it's not the word Lord, it's the revealed name of God in the Old Testament. The closest we can translate it in English is Yahweh. Um, It's what God said to Moses excuse me, on Mount Sinai when Moses said to God, who am I going to tell the Israelites that you are? Who am I going to tell the Hebrews has sent me? I was their enemy in Egypt. They're not going to listen to me. God says to him, I am who I am. I am is translated as Yahweh, and it's so holy that in the Old Testament, they would write the word Lord in the place of Yahweh. Okay? But make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Every Sunday... You pray this. Every Sunday, whenever you say the Lord's Prayer, you are praying, uh, may God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whenever you open the Bible and read about heaven, this is what is happening in those visions of heaven. Whether it's in Revelation or the prophets in the Old Testament, like Ezekiel or Daniel, Um, When they are in God's presence, what is shown in heaven is the way things are properly ordered to be. God the creator is at the center and all of creation is praising and blessing his name. It's, It's a joyful response of a relationship that you have with God. And so what happens in worship? When we gather for worship, God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. Because everything is in its proper place. Faith in God the creator, giving glory to God as creator, and it has blessings that come down to us in the realization of it. The word for Psalm 100 is an old word, and I want to share it with you because I've never really heard it before. The word is jubilate. It's an actual word. You can look it up. But this is the nickname for Psalm 100. It means to show great happiness, to rejoice. In worship, we are to show great happiness and rejoice. It doesn't mean that there's not time for contemplation and quiet, but understand that every song that we sing is praising God's glory because death has been swallowed up in victory by Jesus Christ. Every Sunday is Easter. 
I'll say that again. Every Sunday is Easter because every Sunday we proclaim the gospel, which is as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. Death has been swallowed up in victory because Christ is risen. And so, when we worship, we jubilate. We show great happiness and rejoice. You can show joy. You can raise your hands. You don't have to raise your hands. You can sing. You don't have to sing. But understand that you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit to experience a godly joy that goes beyond any suffering, any burden that uh, you brought with you today. Now is the time to rest in the presence of the Lord and set those burdens aside. They can be taken up later, but now you come and rest and you give that all to the Lord and you rest and find the joy that he has to give you. Serve the Lord with gladness. Now why could the Israelites serve the Lord with gladness? It's because God is the one who delivers them, the Lord is the one who delivers them out of 350 years of slavery The word serve is an interesting one, too, because it gives the connotation of slavery. Um, When the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, they did not give to give, uh, their service was not given with gladness. It was taken from them to serve Pharaoh, Egypt, and those false gods. When God delivers them out of bondage, now they have a God in whom they can trust, who cares about them, and the response is, why wouldn't you serve? Whatever you worship is what you're going to serve. If you serve money, then you're worshiping money. If you serve power, you're worshiping power. If you serve the Lord, if you're obedient to the Lord, then there's gladness because you are free. There is no subjugation. There is no slavery in the Lord. You are free from sin, death, and the devil to live a blessed life that God has prepared for you in relationship with you. And so it says, come into his presence with singing. As I mentioned before, when we come for worship, Jesus promises to be here. God promises to be here in our midst. It's not just those of you who are gathered for worship that are here today. God is here because he promises to be. And if you have faith in Jesus Christ, understand that the Holy Spirit is as close to you even closer than the neighbor sitting next to you because he's dwelling in your heart. And so that comes forth in songs of singing and joy in worship. It doesn't necessarily mean you need to start speaking in tongues. But if you do, that is, an, that is a, a, a joyful expression of the Holy Spirit uh, uh, blessing you and working in your heart. It's not necessary. We're Lutheran. I don't expect anyone to start speaking in tongues. But I'm just explaining to you what it is. It is a heart language where your heart is is moving faster than your brain can process those feelings into words and express them. So speaking in tongues comes out as gibberish. And that's not a gift for everybody. It's a personal gift. Uh, Paul talks about it's better to have one clear word. But in either case, it's because of the presence of the Lord that we sing. We're not singing hoping God will show up. We're singing because God has showed up. And so we can join in the song of the communion of saints beyond these walls and going up into the normalcy of heaven itself where the creation is gathered around the creator creator singing his praises. It goes on in 100 verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. Now, if you're a fan of Seinfeld, you might know this word no. It's the word yada. 
We use it in our culture. We'll say yada, yada, yada. What that's come to mean is like skipping over important information, like saying blah, blah, blah. But the word is really yada. It means to know, and it's, it's more than just head knowledge. Now, um, we're, we're doing Alpha on Wednesdays, and Alpha told this story about, um, about his wife. I'm going to use my wife in the same example, uh, but I got the idea from Nikki Gumbel. So let's say that there was a book in the library called Melissa, the Amazing, Wonderful Woman. And I took the book off the shelf, and I opened it up, and the first uh, uh, chapter talks about her stunning personality. And chapter two talks about um, her amazing cooking ability. And her third chapter says, says, um, the green thumb and the ability to create in gardening. And the fourth chapter says, uh, all of her athletic prowess. It's a very short chapter. (laughs) And the fifth chapter, a very long one, was, Melissa and her capacity to be a long-suffering, gracious wife. Now, I could share that book and say, this, she sounds amazing. She sounds wonderful. Now, that's head knowledge. I have been married to Melissa for 20 years. We just celebrated our 20-year anniversary. She's still with me. Hasn't gotten rid of me yet. And after 20 years, I can tell you, I don't need a book, I can tell you Melissa is an amazing woman. She's my person. And I love her to death. That's yada. That's to know something experientially, not just learning knowledge. You understand? So yada, that the Lord, he is God. When we come to worship, we come to know God intimately because his promises are for you. They have your name on it. They're about you. The second part of the verse, it says, it is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Now, Jesus reveals something about himself in the New Testament when he uses a certain phrase and he's pointing back to Psalm 100 that speaks about knowing the Lord. How do you know who the Lord is? He's, he's the one who takes care of his sheep in his pasture. Well, what does Jesus say about himself in the Gospel of John? He says, I am the good shepherd. He's doing this purposefully. He's revealing who he is. Remember, God's revealed name in the Old Testament, Yahweh, translates as I am. So all the I am's that Jesus says is Jesus revealing who he is. If you want to get to know God, get to know Jesus. If you want to know what God thinks of you, find out what Jesus thinks of you. If you want God to respond and work in your life, let Jesus respond and work in your life because Jesus died on the cross for you. And he's here with you suffering with you and for you and giving you new life because he is your good shepherd. We are his sheep and no one will snatch us out of his hand. That's what he promises with this verse. Now, what's interesting also about this verse verse, has to do uh, with the presence of God that is so close to you, we take it for granted. It says, enter the gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. 100 verse 4. In the Old Testament, the gates and the courts was the area around where God promised to be. This is the tabernacle in the 40 years in the wilderness. It's the tent of meeting, all right? God's uh, location on earth, the Ark of the Covenant, was located there. 
When the temple was built, it was no longer in a moving location. The Ark of the Covenant rested in the Holy of Holies called the temple. The temple was not a church. The temple in the ancient world was God's or a God's embassy on earth. It's where they promised to show up physically in your midst. And so all the people would know to go there. So you would have places that would have like the temple of, of, of Venus in Corinth. That was a really big one. You'd have the temple of Zeus. You'd have the temple of Artemis. I think the Parthenon in Greece today is the remnants of the temple of Athena in Athens. Okay, And so that place is where it was thought that that God would show up physically. And the temple in Jerusalem was no different. God promised that it would be his, his footstool and that he would rest in darkness in his people's presence. And this was the Holy of Holies. This is where the Ark of the Covenant sat. And only the high priest could go into the presence of the Ark of the Covenant once a year on Yom Kippur, which just happened, uh, I think, a week ago. It's the Day of Atonement within the Jewish tradition. Here's the thing. For Christians, this is not a temple. But God promises to be present in his temple today. Now, the name of the Lord is so ingrained within your being that every time you breathe, you praise God's name. I want you to take a big breath in. Then breathe out. Do that again. Breathe in. Breathe out. Being a little lightheaded. Every time you breathe, you say the revealed name of God. You breathe in, you make a yah sound. You breathe out, you make a ha sound. Yahweh. 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 In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, the, other, the meaning of ruach in the Old Testament, I told you I read a lot of Hebrew this week, Ruah means breath or wind. But I want you to think about this. When you're lamenting, when you're sad, every breath you take is saying, Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. When you're scared and the dog is chasing you and you're running, you're saying, Yahweh, 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 Yahweh. God is resting in his temple and it is so ingrained on you that without even realizing it, you are praising God's name with every breath that you take. When we engage in this actively, something special happens. Because we begin to praise and bless God's name. Now, in the Old Testament, that phrase, praise the Lord, is one that you know. It's hallelujah is praise, and Yah is for Yahweh, the Lord. So whenever you say hallelujah, you are actively praising God's name. When you breathe, you are passively praising God's name. You are so designed that no matter what you do, whether you realize it or not, you are praising God's name. But when you choose to actively engage in praising the Lord, you are blessed by it. St. Augustine said that praising God's name, praising the Lord, and blessing the Lord's name is actually heavenly food that allows you to acquire strength. The more you praise God's name, the stronger you get. So I say to you, join me when I say, Hallelujah! 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 Hallelujah. You are living out your active vocation as a child of God when you praise his name. 
And whether you realize it or not, you are praising his name, but here you engage in it and discover God's presence to bless you. And so it ends with this promise. Why is all this possible? Because of this promise. It's what worship reveals to us. For the Lord is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. Steadfast love is a special word in Hebrew. It's chesed. Say that with me. Chesed. You know, you did it wrong. You got it more. Can you get that? There you go. If you have allergies, you're probably really good at saying this. Chesed. It means steadfast love. It can be translated as a loyal love. An enduring love, it's goodness in action. It's that kind of love. It's when God is choosing to actively bless you, it's because of his steadfast love for you. And it ends with another word, and his faithfulness to all generations. Steadfast love and faithfulness is God's care for the world, and this word is a word that you say every single day. You may not realize it, but you say this word every single day. This is the word. Amen. Amen in Hebrew means faithfulness, or God is faithful. And so every time that you say amen, you are confessing that God is faithful. Jesus Christ died for you on the cross. He is present in your midst, and he is coming to you today through his word and through his sacraments so that you may know that you have a God in heaven who loves you, who has a steadfast love for you, who will never forsake you, and is going to be with you Monday through Saturday, not just on Sunday. Come and rest in the Lord so that you can be alive in the Lord. Hallelujah? Hallelujah. Amen.